how long. It's about faith under fire. And when things are looking rough and things aren't going the way you'd want, how do I trust in my God and grow in the midst? Sweet moment to just remember who Jesus Christ is and, and just to take a celebration time. And, you know, we're in a series here called How Long? How Long? And we're talking through what it means uh, to be waiting on God. Waiting on God very specifically about something, though. Waiting on God on His dealing with sin. His dealing with sin in this world. His dealing with the wrong of what others have done. Lord God, how long? How long until you step in? How long until you begin to move? And, you know, as we look at today, the celebration of Jesus Christ that we've taken here so far and just being able to reflect and may we continue in that same spirit of reflection as we see what God has to share with Habakkuk today. You know, a little bit of catch-up. Habakkuk was like, Lord, I'm not happy with what's going on. The sin in this world has been horrible. The sin in Judah, your nation, your people, do something, God. I'm ready to see you step in. And, and how long? And you... Really, he was kind of saying, God, I think you're being too patient. It's time. Could you please do something? And, and then God said, hang on. I am going to be doing something. But you're going to be stunned with what it is. I'm going to take the nation of Babylon, the Chaldeans. I'm going to take these people that are horrifically sinful. And I'm going to do something huge with them. I'm going to bring them in, and they're going to be the peace that starts to address the sin of Judah. They're going to actually start to bring Judah back towards me. And uh, Habakkuk's response was basically, you're kidding, right? Like, you've got to be kidding, God. How could you use somebody so sinful to try to accomplish something so holy. Lord God, why would you let somebody more sinful judge somebody less sinful? God, what are you thinking about? I'm so confused. Have you ever been there in your life? As you watch God working and moving and you're like, Lord, what I see doesn't match what I know of you. Like, Lord, what's coming next? I don't understand and help me put it together. Well, God's going to begin to put it together for him today as we dive into the beginning of Habakkuk chapter 2. So turn with me, if you will, to Habakkuk chapter 2. This is like five books from the end of the Old Testament, right? So you go to the Old Testament, go back a few books, and you're there. Habakkuk chapter 2, starting in verse 2. And uh, Lord, how do I deal with things when what it looks like doesn't match up with what I know? about you. How do I deal with this? Point number one, wait patiently and remember well. Wait patiently and remember well. He writes down, and the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. We're just going to hold right there. He said, and the Lord answered me. Because that's the kind of God we have. Because when we're struggling, when we're confused, God cares about what's going on in your soul. 
God cares to come alongside. He shares. He communicates. He makes it real. Your God loves you, and he longs to hear from you. And if you're in the middle of turmoil, know this. God will bring a sweet, sweet answer. Come to him and trust in him. And the Lord, Yahweh, answered, said, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets. He's like, all right, Habakkuk, get ready. I'm going to give you an answer to your question, and it's going to be thunderous. I'm telling you, I'm going to put some things down for you that are going to make this all clear. So get ready. I need you to write it down. Don't just try to have it memorized. Don't just try to repeat it later with a few words. Write it down. In fact, he says, write it down on tablets. Now, normally they would have used things like papyrus or some kind of scroll that could roll out and back. God's like, no, man, this is super permanent, absolutely true. Chisel it in stone. Put it in stone. This can be trusted. Get ready. This needs to be known by the nation of Judah and really known by the nations. Here's who I am. He says, make it plain on tablets. Chisel it into the rock so he may run who reads it. So he may run who reads it. And this truth is going to be life-changing. It is going to be life-giving. It is going to be worth sharing so that he may run who reads it. In fact, this probably even refers to the guy who would have brought it from town to town. Like if it is this all-important, powerful message, then there's probably a herald of it. Somebody who's coming along proclaiming and heralding it. And as he reads it, it like infuses him with energy. He's fired up about the reality and he picks up stones and he runs to the next town so that he can bring them out and read it out and proclaim it. He's creating almost a little bit of a comical moment. As he's like, imagine the herald hauling it with rocks under his arms because these things won't change. And he's like, this is so exciting. I got to run to get to the next town. I'm not just walking. I got to get there. I got to share this. I'm telling you, even the heralds are going to be fired up about this fact so that he may run who reads it. For still, the vision awaits its appointed time. Like, this is still to come. What I'm going to share with you is about tomorrow. That's what God's saying to Habakkuk. What I'm going to share with you is about what's coming soon for you, Habakkuk. This is an appointed time, and it hasn't come yet. Appointed. Everybody just say appointed. Yeah, that, that means God established it. God is doing it. God has a plan. It's an appointed time. You're going to find the word appointed all over Scripture. And as you dig in to the Old Testament, the word appointed falling out all over the place as you see God making clear what he is doing. God has a plan. In fact, you may want to write this verse down. Genesis 1.14. Genesis 1.14. This is in the middle of the creation. It says, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens, to separate the day from the night and let them be for, ready, for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. 
Let him put the expanses into the heaven. God says, let there be this light, this expanse in the heavens, and it has a purpose. Signs and seasons and days and years. There are four purposes for what's going on with the stars and the moon and the galaxies in general. Four purposes, signs and seasons and days and years. Now, the days and the years we get, we kind of use that, right? We sort of stay tied to what's going on, and we got this solar calendar thing, and we get the days and the years thing. But signs and seasons, by season, he doesn't mean spring, fall, winter. He's not talking that kind of season. He's talking like a movement of God afoot among the people, a season of time, something God is doing. He marks those in the galaxies. He marks them with signs. God has a plan, and he set and wound up this clock called the galaxies. And as he lets the clock unfold, there are moments that come where God is doing something massive, like the Messiah, Savior, Jesus Christ, entering into this world, and the galaxy clicks to the next move, and the star lights up above Bethlehem. And God uses the galaxies for signs and seasons, and days and years, right? So like we use kind of the smallest detail of it, but know this, God has attached the galaxies to the truth and the timing of his movements, and God has appointed times. He's like, hang on, Habakkuk, not yet, but soon, and God's getting him set. It says, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. It's true, and it's coming, it's real, and it's going to happen. And this vision of future sin and punishment he's talking about, it's coming up, and we're going to see it, a lot of it next week, but he's like, I'm going to tell you how I'm going to deal with Babylon. So I'm giving you a little insight as to what's coming in the next week of verses, but God's like, hang on. It's going to be huge because I'm going to tell you about this sinful nation, Babylon, and how they're going to be used for Judah, but then I'm going to tell you how I'm going to deal with their sin. Hang on. I'm bringing it all together. What you see and what you know of me is all going to come together, Habakkuk. Know this. There is an appointed time to be dealing with it. He says, if it seems slow... Wait for it. Now, have you ever been waiting for something? And when it seemed slow, the person's advice to you was, wait for it. You're like, not helpful. I'm already kind of doing that. And I'm kind of freaking out on it. And God is calling him to a very spiritual moment. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Have you ever noticed that when you're going on vacation, the drive there can seem like it takes forever, and on the way back, you're just home, and and like, what happened? How did that drive seem so long on the way there, and because we're longing for, and we're counting every second, and, and God is like, hang on, wait for it, and wait for it well. It will not delay. There is a timing. There is an appointed time, and God has a plan. Everybody just say, God has a plan. And do you believe that? Have we said that enough around here? God has a plan, 
And there's times where what we see in front of us doesn't line up with what we know of God. Hang on. God has a plan and he's doing something along the way. I'll just say this. In the middle of waiting, we can often start doubting. Why? There's something I wrote down this week. Doubt is the natural byproduct of impatience. Doubt is the natural byproduct of impatience. As we begin to get fed up with the timing, as we want to see it go differently, all of a sudden we start questioning. We start questioning God's knowledge. Do you really know? Or maybe his power. Can you really do it? Or or maybe we're questioning his love. Do you even care to wade in? And those three things, knowledge and power and love, they're the triangle of trust. And as we begin to doubt, as we begin to get impatient with one of those three areas or all of them, the doubts start welling up. And be careful. Impatience can cause grave doubt in our heart. May we wait on our God. Maybe here's another way to say it on the opposite side. Hope is the natural byproduct of worshipful trust. Hope is the natural byproduct of worshipful trust. And as we begin to trust in our God and his knowledge and his power, and we trust in his love, all of a sudden hope starts welling up. The things he said, no, they're true, man. I don't walk away from my God on this. He said it. It's going to happen. Hang on. It'll make sense. Just a second. And hope, it's the natural byproduct of worshipful trust. It's a huge deal that we grasp. He's like, hey, you're going to need to wait for this for its appointed time. Just so you know, uh, that would be uh, close to a, a hundred years for Habakkuk to see all of this come to fruition. But God has a plan and God has it lined up. And he said, chisel it in stone so it doesn't get forgotten along the way. You know, this past week, uh, I was talking with my wife and um, it turns out the pool had opened at my daughter's uh, apartment complex and she was excited to get over there to the pool and and so she asked if one of us wanted to go with her. And uh, I love being out. I love being in the sun. I love being at the pool. But I burn so fast at the front end of the year. Like May, June is super important for not scalding myself, right? So I had been out for a little bit. So I'm like, ah, maybe I shouldn't. And John is like, well, I got to take Toby over and drop him off. And, and uh, he's got an appointment. And I'm like, okay, great. I'll, I can take him and drop him off. And we're like, that's good. And she said, okay, I'll go over to the pool. She said, by the way, you know where you're going, right? And I'm like, yeah, I've dropped him off to get his uh, haircut before. And she's like, yeah, you're not going there. You have to go to the vet. I'm like, what? So now I don't go and drop the dog off and leave. Now I go and sit down and hang on until they get whatever is done. How long is this going to take? How long is this going to take? And she's like, ah, they're pretty fast usually. I'm like, oh no, here we go. I'm going to end up sitting there all day in the vet waiting for something to get figured out. So I go in and uh, they take the dog and he goes back super excited. He runs away with them and happy to be with them. And they're like, you can sit down there. And I sit and do nothing. Have you ever had those moments where you're sitting there like, what in the world? You're just waiting for time to go by. Nothing to do whatsoever. That makes time just creep by. Like second by second, every time I check my watch on the phone, I'm like, oh, good, another minute has gone by. 
how long is this going to be? This could be 15, 20, 30 minutes. I was planning on getting home. I still got a few things I got to get done. And, and then the woman says to me, if you want, you can come over here. And uh, I'll start to check out. I know what they're doing. We've got the bill all kind of set up now so I can run that. So I at least got to come over and start to get things paid off and signed up and get some pills ordered that they knew were going on. Toby's not done yet. He's not out yet. But I'm at least able to do a few things. Things started moving along a little faster. And as I'm getting things paid off, we're getting it done. And then they brought the dog out. And now we're able to kind of bring it to a close. I'm just telling you, having something to do really did help a lot. And oftentimes, we identify the word wait as meaning do nothing. Do nothing. But in fact, that may be a terrible definition. So I just put this definition down. Ready? Waiting is not the absence of effort. Waiting is not the absence of effort. Waiting is only doing the effort that is commanded. Waiting is not the absence of effort. Waiting is only doing the effort that is commanded. No more and no less. Waiting is only doing the effort that is commanded. Let that settle in. There was a period of time where she was like, sit on the chair, do nothing, just wait for your dog. The only command I had was sit. <laughs> and as I'm sitting there waiting, like a good dog would in that place when you hear the word sit, as I'm sitting there, that's all I have. I've got nothing else. I just wait. And some of you may be in that phase of life where something is going on and you're waiting and you're longing for God to move and the only thing you have is wait, sit, hang on, just hang on a little longer, just hang on. Man, please hear me. That does not mean your God does not love you. God has a plan. And he may be asking for way more than that. He may be saying, it's time to jump in and go after some things. It's time to run after this hard. And then it's time to step up. And your waiting may include obedience along the way. It may not fix the whole problem, but part of it can be accomplished. Make sure that in your waiting, you're being obedient to whatever effort is commanded. May God get all the glory. So simple question, how are you doing in your waiting. How are you doing at knowing the command that is given and staying focused on it and it only? How are you doing at worshiping while you wait? Okay. That's the first point. Second point, live. Live by your faith rather than in the spirit of your faith. Live by your faith rather than in the spirit of your faith in spite of your faith. You gotta be super careful as you go after this. As you run hard, it's super easy for us to go, I know I had this faith, but I, I'm going to ignore what I know. I'm gonna now run hard after what I am seeing in front of me, and all of a sudden, our doubts are driving where we had. Be careful, make sure you're living by it, not in spite of it. So here we go. He says, behold, and when we see the word behold, we say, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. His soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. He's like, listen, I know who the Chaldeans are. I understand they're puffed up. I under he's like, he's using an illustrative like a frog that gets a big chest. 
He's like, I know what's going on. I know they think super highly of themselves. And I know it's not holy and righteous within them. They're prideful. They're godless. He's like, I I know they're puffed up. Can you imagine what Habakkuk would be saying right now? Yes! Like, I know they're puffed up. Me too! That's the problem. That's what I'm seeing that doesn't make sense. And he says, but the righteous shall live by faith. This is a thunderous statement. The righteous shall live by faith. This is a diamond in the middle of the dirt, if you will. All this talk about sin, all this talk about nations and horribleness, and the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by what? Faith. Faith. Making sure that we're not living by our knowledge, but by faith. Making sure we're not living by our works, but by faith. Not by our success, but by our faith. Not by what it looks like, but by what God says it is. Faith. May we lean on him. Hebrews 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Live on the conviction of things not seen. The righteous live by faith. This is a thunderous phrase. In fact, so thunderous that this passage got dropped into three New Testament passages when explaining the gospel. And uh, you may want to just write the passages down, but Romans 1:17, it says, for in it, that is in the good news, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith For faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Talking about the gospel message, the hope of salvation, the righteous shall live by faith. Salvation in Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.11 says, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. The righteous shall live by faith. The righteous don't live by the law. The righteous don't live by works. Abraham was not saved by the law. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Romans chapter 4. Know this man, faith, both Old Testament and new. The righteous shall live by faith. When what you see in front of you doesn't look good, do not distance or separate from who your God is. The righteous will live by faith. And all of God's people said, huge deal. Hebrews 10.38 is the third one on that if you want to write it down. Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, Hebrews 10.38. He says, moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. Now hopefully when you read that you go, "Uh, whoa, topic change. (laughs) Like what just happened? Like, how is this tied together? And just so you know, the Babylonian nation was known for their drinking. They were known to be so prolific in their drinking. Their parties would go off the hook. They would be so bad in their drinking that, in fact, they were known and notorious for how much drinking. And he's like, their pride will be their undoing. In fact, Their drink will also be their undoing and they'll connect together. 
He's like, wine is a traitor. It promises relaxation, but it delivers up destruction. That's really what he's saying. Wine is a traitor. It promises relaxation, but it delivers up destruction. So about a hundred years after the time of Habakkuk, right? So Habakkuk's sitting here in time around the 620s, we'll call it BC. There's about 30 years out is when Babylon's going to sweep into Judah and take over everything. That's about 30 years from the time of Habakkuk, somewhere in there, 10 to 30 years in his lifetime until that happens, right? But then it's about 100 years, 70 years after that, about 100 years from Habakkuk until Babylon falls. Babylon, the Chaldeans, they sweep in, they take over, they're owning and running it until this event, Daniel chapter 5. It says, King Belshazzar, this is one of the kings over Babylon, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords. That's a big party. For a thousand of his lords, and they drank wine in front of the thousand. This was a huge drunken fest with wine everywhere and a thousand people getting blitzed. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought forward, that the king and the lords, his wives and his concubines might drink and get drunk from them. That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean was killed. Bottom line, his final undoing was a massive drunken party Bring out the wine. Bring the thousand. Let's celebrate together. And as they're trying to relax, it goes too far. And then he says, get the temple gold and silver. Get the drinks, the cups that would have been used to worship God Almighty. And you bring them in here to worship me. And as he brings them in, Yahweh is like, that's the end of it. And God is making it very clear. The drink will be the end of the Babylonians. That night, this king was killed. Babylon was overtaken. Darius the Mede is put in place, and Babylon is done. God chiseled it in stone a hundred years ahead. God has a plan. Everybody say, God has a plan. And when it's not on our time scale, with hope, wait patiently. Trusting in faith that God might get all the glory. The Babylonians will come to an end. And he makes it clear. And he says, chisel it in stone. And I'm going to make clear to you how. And that's what really next week is as we walk through what God's going to be saying and doing. Know this. God takes sin seriously. And God loves and cares for us along the way. May we work together. And may we live for him, all for God's glory. Wait and trust. Wait and trust. Everybody just say, wait and trust. And that's how we follow.